All right, well, good morning, y'all. I'm so glad to see you. We're cold, we're tired, but the sun is shining. It is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Andrew. I am the lead pastor here. We are in the year of discipleship. This is a year where we're just trying to grow closer to the Lord. Our focus to help us do that is on the Word of God. As Jake said, we're in this F260 Bible reading plan. I just invite you, if you're not doing that with us, to jump in with us. We're in week 11. There are Bible reading plans over at Next Steps. I'll be over there if you're interested. I'd love to get you involved with us. Uh, Today, um, as we're working through this series called The Word, it's a 52-week journey through the scriptures and all of it points to Jesus. We are finishing up series, a series within the series, series number two of eight called Promised Land, which has been all about Israel's 40-year journey out of Egypt, out of slavery, into this promised land called Canaan. And not only are we finishing this series this morning, but we're finishing up in our Bible reading over the next week plus Uh, the section of the Bible called the five books of Moses. A couple other names for that. One is the Pentateuch, not to be confused with that one singing group, Pentatonics or whatever. Okay, same idea. Okay, five books is what that stands for. Um, It's also known by uh, Jewish folks as the Torah. It is Hebrew for instruction or the law. And so these first five books of the Bible are really important Uh, in the scriptures. Um, And I just want to put a plug out as some of you are reading. One of the things that you may need to take advantage of is a a study Bible. Some of you may not have one. Uh, Some of you may utilize one, but it helps you. There's notes uh, at the bottom of, of all the pages or most of the pages that help you to understand the scriptures. And so if you don't have a study Bible, I encourage you to get one if you want to learn more and grow in your understanding of the Bible. This is one that I use personally. Uh, actually, this is an updated version of the one I use. I've been using this one called the Gospel Transformation Bible for the last six or seven or eight years. Um, this is an updated one, so it's got more notes. Uh, and it's a really helpful uh, way to learn the Bible. So that's, an, that's the English Standard Version, the ESV, which is what I use if you're in the study notes. I always try to put in like bonus content. So there's a link to this uh, if you want to, if you need a Bible, study Bible, that's a great way to, uh, to learn more. I don't get any proceeds if you buy anything. Just know that. I wish that would be kind of cool if, if I did, but that's, that's for you, okay? So I want to just walk through for a couple minutes a summary of these first five books, what they are all about and setting up what we're going to talk about this morning. We started in the book of Genesis. The first series we did was called In the Beginning. Uh, Genesis literally means beginning. And so we have these origin stories where God creates the, the heavens and the earth. And this is, there are foundational stories about God's relation to the world and to mankind and to the patriarchs uh, of Israel and to Israel as a nation. And so important, that book of Genesis. And then we moved into the book of Exodus, which means Exodus means exit or the way out. And we see it, it tells the story, the greatest story of redemption we see in the scriptures prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. And it's a story of God rescuing his people, Israel, out of slavery uh, in Egypt. And so we see in Exodus, um, their exit out of Egypt. We see the law given. We see a tabernacle erected at the end of the book of Exodus. And we move into the book of Leviticus. This is always this, the stopping point for most people making their way through the Bible in a year plan. And A way to remember Leviticus, what it's all about, it's a manual for the Levites. 
The Levites were the priests of God's people because God's people had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years and they had been, uh, their understanding of God had been so distorted by this pagan culture. And so they needed to understand God and how to rightly relate to God. And so the Levites, the priests, they represented God to, to man. And we see at the end of the book of Exodus, this, this tabernacle is erected where the people would worship God. And the Levites were the ones that, the priests that would help the sinful yet redeemed people to know how to rightly relate to a holy God. And so you see all kinds of hard to understand stuff in there. There's a lot of instruction and laws given, um, talking about offerings and the priesthood and atonement for sin. And it was all about helping, again, sinful people to become holy and to interact with and have a relationship with a holy God. And so that was the book of Leviticus. Then you move into the fourth book, the book of Numbers. Jay Sermon preached out of Numbers last week. And the numbers, uh, the, the reference is the numbering of the people two times. The census that took place in the beginning and the end of the book of Numbers. And Numbers narrates the wilderness journey of God's people after they came out of Egypt from Mount Sinai to the promised land. So this is telling the story of their wilderness Journey, And so just like with all of us, when we would talk about being in a wilderness season, this was a time of transition and a time of testing to see if the people would trust God along the way or not. And so that's the book of Numbers. Today we move into the fifth book, and it's the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy literally means second law. Second law. So this was a retelling of the law to this new generation of God's people. So if you remember last week, Jay talked about the 12 spies who went into the land of Canaan to check it out, to scope it out. And you had the, I love how he said this, the terrified two and the trusting, no, back up, the trusting two and the terrified 10. All right. Uh, I'm not as good as Jay. All right. Uh, So you had these spies who went in to see the land and the 10 who were fearful. They saw the giants in the land. They saw this promise that God had given them, but they saw the obstacles and they were fearful. And God, what he said was, you're not going to get to go into the promised land now, but your children will. And so the book of Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law to this new generation as they are getting ready to enter into the promised land because in order for them to receive the blessing of God, they needed to know and understand and obey the law of God. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, we see the second giving of the law. It's also a transition or a link to what's coming up, which is the historical book. So we see this transition from Moses leading the people of God to Joshua. And we see a lot of battle going on in these next few books as the people march in and and begin to take possession of the land that God had promised them. So the book of Deuteronomy is where we're going to be today. Uh, Deuteronomy is, as the name implies, it's mostly full of law, but it's surrounded by grace. We see the grace of God throughout the book. The gospel is clearly seen throughout it. In fact, the book of Deuteronomy is one of the most important books in the, in the Old Testament. And one of the reasons I say that is because Jesus himself, he quoted and he used the book of Deuteronomy more than any other Old Testament book. So let me give you an example. If you remember the story in the New Testament when Jesus comes on the scene, his public ministry begins, and he's immediately led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And there he's tempted by the devil. 
And three times Jesus responds to temptation by saying, you know the words? It is written. So he quotes scripture three times. As it is written. Every one of those three instances he quotes from the book of, can you guess it? Deuteronomy. All right, you're awake. Yes. Deuteronomy. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. So Jesus quotes, and the New Testament often quotes the book of Deuteronomy. And, and the book, what you'll see if you're in the personal Bible reading plan over the next week and a half, you'll see the book ends with Moses coming up to, Moses and the people coming up to the brink of the promised land, but Moses only gets to see in. He gets to see it all, but he doesn't get to enter. If you remember, he, he sinned against God and God said, you're going to get to see it. You're not going to get to go in. And so he leads them to the brink. He prays a blessing over Israel and the book ends with the death of Moses. So Moses, though he was such an amazing leader, we see him all throughout these, these first few books of the Bible. God used him in such a great way. And even though he didn't get to enjoy like the end result of, of taking the people into this promised land, though he only got to see it and didn't get to enter in, he left a legacy. He left an incredible legacy that stretches to this Day. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever thought about the kind of legacy that you are going to leave with your life? And, and I think the younger you are, the less you think about that. But as you mature and age, you think more about that. Like, will my life, will I be remembered? And you start attending funerals and thinking about life. And you go, is my life going to matter after my days on earth are over? And so today, today I want to talk about how to leave a legacy long after you're gone. How to leave a legacy long after you're gone. We see this from the life of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 to 9. It was our memory verse today. I, every week or every time I talk about our scripture memory, uh, you know, I always choose the, small, the shortest one. Uh, except this week, I chose the longer one because it is actually the text for this morning, Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, it's one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in Hebrew culture. It was known as the Shema, okay? Um, I'd have you say that with me, but it's early and y'all are still waking up, right? The Shema, which means hear in Hebrew. It means to hear. And, and, and this word in, in Hebrew, and I'm trying to match Jay by throwing in some Hebrew words for you this morning. It means attention or focus. And there wasn't a separate word for, for listen or hear and obey. It was kind of two sides of the same coin. And so when they would hear this word Shema, it had this meaning of listen and respond. Listen and obey. And what happened was they used this, this prayer for thousands of years, the people of God, morning and evening, they would pray or recite the words of, he, of Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, the Shema, as an expression of their devotion to God. And so it was, it was basically the Jewish confession of faith. Now, here's, here's another little bonus thing for you. If you look in your digital bulletin and sermon notes, there's a link to the Bible Project. You hear me talk about or reference the Bible Project. I think it's such a, a cool, helpful tool to understand the scriptures more. They use animation, which keeps my attention. Um, but the Bible Project, they now have an app um, for uh, the Bible Project as well. But the Shema series, it's a series of six videos. They're like three to four minutes long focusing in on some of the important keywords to help you understand the, the Shema, which is so 
so important, and yet we don't have the time to dig into all of the wording here. So just want to point that out to you. Let's read Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, and I've got two big points for you today. So Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse number 4, it says this. Here, okay, that's where that word comes from, Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so this is, again, what they would know as the Shema. And uh, I would also encourage you to try to begin to memorize this. I, too, believe in you. Um, You can do it. The people of God, for generations, for thousands of years, day and night, would declare this prayer to the Lord. So let me give you a point number one here this morning, is that God's people are distinctive. God's people are distinctive. To be distinct means that, that something marks you as unique or uh, special or different. You're set apart. You stand apart from all others. Uh, Let me quote the great theologian this morning, Dr. Seuss, who famously said, are you all awake? (laughs) You just took whatever I said. Oh, Dr. Seuss. Uh, Um, That great. Why fit in when you were born to stand out? Why why fit in when you were born to stand out? And we all, from a young age, we, we try to fit in, and yet God has created us to, to be distinct, to stand out. So what sets us apart? What set the people of God, Israel, apart in their day? What sets us as the people of God apart today, in our day? Same thing, same thing. First, it's this, it's our God, our God. Verse number four Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. So he he declares the Lord. And and if you've paid attention, this is in the Old Testament, you'll see times where the Lord is referenced in all capital letters. You ever notice that? What that's talking about there, it's, it's referring to the divine name. Not to be confused with a Lord like a master or a king or an authority figure. No, it's speaking of the God of Israel, Yahweh. Or Jehovah. This is speaking of a particular God, the God of the universe, the Lord, our God. And don't ever miss when it says the Lord, our God. So this is more of a declaration than just the God of the universe, the God of heaven and earth, the God of Israel. No, this is our God. This is a personal statement that he is our God. We belong to him. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And this, this whole statement is so significant. Again, in a culture that worshipped many gods, this was the people declaring that the Lord is one. There is one God. And, and that word one isn't specifically meaning singular, but it means unity, absolute unity. So this was a statement of what we would call monotheism. There is one God. But it doesn't necessarily contradict the, the truth that we know as the Trinity. One God who exists in three persons. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So this was a statement, the Lord is one. It, it, was, it was also a statement that he is the one true God. He alone is God, capital G, not little g, God. He is capital G, God. He is the O-G, only God, okay? Y'all got it, all right? First service was asleep. He is the OG. Can you blame him? It was 20 degrees this morning and we lost an hour of sleep. He is the only God, the Lord, our God. The Lord is one. And so this daily declaration was about who God is and, and that set them apart from everybody else on the planet. But then there was a second thing that made them distinct. It was not just their God, it was their love for God. And the thing that makes you and I distinct is our love for God. Verse number five, he goes on to say this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Do those words sound familiar? Have you heard those before? Jesus quoted from here, again, when he was confronted by a Pharisee, a teacher who said, um, or a lawyer who said, what is the great commandment in, in all the law? And Jesus quoted directly from here, the Shema. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your mind. This is the thing that sets them apart, our love for God. And without going into all of this, and again, you can reference that, that, uh, that series from Bible Project, but if we're going to boil this all down, what he was talking about here was this, this is a kind of love. The way that we're to love our God is this love that engages the whole person. Not just our mind, not just our emotions, not just our actions, but all of us. And I think the thing that's important here is that God wants our obedience, yes, but what God wants more than anything is, is, our, is our hearts. He wants our love because if he has our love, he has all of us. And so he says, love the Lord your God with all that is within you. Because what is normal what was normal in that culture? What's normal in our culture? What's, what is not distinct was this, living for yourself and living for your own. This is what's normal, living for your own little kingdom, for your own pleasures, for your own comfort. And all that translates to little impact, little legacy. That is what is normal. In fact, if we were to, if we were to evaluate the, the state of the church, not our church, but the, the universal church and Christians in general, we might mark them not by a wholehearted kind of love, but a half-hearted love. But God's people are different. They are distinct. They are distinctive. And what is distinct about them is full devotion to God, not half-hearted stuff, fully. And I saw in my reading this week, um, I was doing my here journal and hit uh, Numbers 14, and it talks about Caleb, one of the trusting two, who Caleb and Joshua went to that land, and they functioned based on faith. They saw the promises of God, and they believed in spite of the circumstances and the obstacles. They believed that God had given them that land. And I love what God says about his man Caleb here in Numbers 14, verse 24. This was one of my days I highlighted this verse. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me, how? Fully. 
I will bring him into the land in which he went and his descendants shall possess it. He points out Caleb out of all 12 of these guys. He says, this guy's different. He has a different spirit. There's just something distinct about him. The thing that made him distinct was that he fully followed God. And so God says, you get to experience all the blessing. Exodus 33, 16, this was a memory verse just a couple weeks ago. It popped into my mind as, we were, as I was going through this. Exodus 33, 16, Moses praying to God and he says this, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are what? Distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. God, the thing that sets us apart from every other person, every other people group on the planet is the fact that your presence is with us. That makes us distinct and different from everybody else. These are the things that we see about God's people that makes them distinct. So God's people are distinctive. Here's the second point that we'll see in the rest of this passage as we walk through it. God's people are disciple makers. God's people are distinctive. God's people are disciple makers. They make disciples. Now, let's read again verses 6 through 9. Moses said this, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And, and that means way more. To be a disciple maker means way more than posting you know, a sign on your, in your home. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You ever, anybody have that? I love that verse, and I think that's great if you have that in your house. But being a follower, a disciple is way more than just posting it. it we, we see it kind of unfold here. So let's, let's talk about it. You see Jesus in his last words before he, after his death and burial and his resurrection, but before he ascended to the Father, he pulled his disciples aside on a mountaintop and he gave them his last words. He gave them instruction concerning the way that they were to live out their lives. And it was identity shaping. And you remember what he said? He said, go and do what? Anybody know? Make disciples of all nations. I've left you here to make disciples of the whole earth. What does it mean? Disciples make disciples. What does that look like? To be a disciple is to be a follower of Jesus. And to make disciples is to invest in others in such a way as to help them come to faith in Christ. So if you're a disciple maker, you're trying to help others know who God is, know who Jesus is, express faith in him, give them their life, give him their lives. But it's also investing in others to help them grow in Christ. So to be a disciple maker is to not just live for your own little kingdom, it's to try to help others to make their way into his kingdom by faith in Jesus Christ. It's to help others who are on the journey to help them to grow in their faith. If you are a couple steps ahead of somebody in their faith, it's you coming alongside, investing in them so that they will grow in such a way, man, that they will honor God with their lives. 
Disciples are disciple makers. And this is why we say it every single week that our mission as a church is to help others find full life in Christ's community and mission. In other words, our mission, our job, our goal, why we exist as a church is to make disciples, not just to gather for worship, not just to have intriguing Bible studies, not just to serve people and feel good. It is that all comes out of this desire to help others to know the Lord and to grow in their relationship with the Lord. This is our mission. This is why we exist. Disciples make disciples. And what Moses said here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and, and really what the, the people of God recited day after day after day, this is who the Lord is, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. We're to love him with all our hearts and soul and, and strength. But we're to invest our lives into others, into the next generation. Moses says it this way. It all starts at home. It all starts with you. Here's, here's how he says it. His, it's all about his, his word, the words that God has commanded us. His word on our heart, his word in our life, and his word out to others. And this is why, y'all, why we're doing this Bible reading plan. This is why we're going through the series on the word. Because his word is the thing that will change us and transform us and help us to make disciples of others. We don't come to others with our clever ideas and thoughts and teachings. No, we come to them with the clear word of God because that will change their eternities. It will change their lives. And so his word. So I want to look at this for a second. Verse number six, Moses says this. These words that I command you today shall be where? On your heart. These words shall be on your heart. In other words, you have to care about his words. These can't just be words on a page. These can't just be words that you check off of a Bible reading plan. These have to be words that jump off of a page and onto your heart if you're going to leave a legacy. His word on our heart. And, and this is why we are in this Bible reading plan. Because I want you to put your eyes on his word. I want you to jump in there as often as you can. But the hope is that it will move from just being words on a page to words on your heart. Because when it gets to that point, and you're not just reading, but you're spending time with the Lord, when you're hearing from God, it will change you. It will transform you. It will impact every other person in your life. But it's got to start there in your heart. His word, these words that I command you shall be on your heart. And then his word has got to be in your life, lived out in your life, in all places, at all times. He says, when you sit, when you rise, when you lie down, when you wake up, everywhere, in all places, at all times, his word lived out of our lives. Uh, verse number eight says this, and this is just an interesting thing I want to point out to us. He says, you shall bind them, God's words, you shall bind his word as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, so your, your eyes and your hands, our eyes represent our vision, our hands represent our actions. And he says, even though the, the Jewish people would do elements of this 
literally and physically, I think ultimately what this is pointing to is let his words guide your vision. Let his words guide all of your actions, that they're always out in front of you, leading you and guiding you in the way that you interact in this world. And here is how I know that this is such a significant idea. I want to quote uh, not Dr. Seuss this time, but David Guzik, a real theologian, he said this, In the end times, there will be a satanic imitation of this practice when the number of the Antichrist in Revelation 13 will be applied to either the hand or the forehead of all who will take it. It's a counterfeit. When you see the enemy counterfeit what God has done, like light bulbs go off, this is significant. God says, let my word. The enemy in the end times is gonna say, hey, I wanna be the one who guides your vision and your actions. And so I want you to take this mark that reminds you who you belong to. And God says, I want you to man, so ingrain my word on your hands and in front of your eyes that it guides your vision, the way you live your life, the way you walk. It's to be on your, in your life, flowing out of your life. So his word on your heart, in your life, through your life, and his word out to others. And he says, if we back up here again to verse number seven, this is a verse that I was excited for this passage. The cool thing about this series through this year is every passage, every story that we read through is, is going to be like, you know, big ones, good ones, incredible ones. So I, I look forward to, to different sermons. And I, I was looking forward to this until I came to this verse and one word in particular. Verse number seven, he says this, you shall teach them. You shall teach God's word. And then here's this next word that I got stuck on that made me say, I don't know if I want to preach this. You shall teach them. What's that word? Diligently to your children and shall talk of them. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. And I, I got hung up on that because if you're, if you're a parent in 2022, you go, hmm, I've blown it a time or two. And you question, you go, have I taught my kids? I know I've taught my kids, but have I taught my kids diligently? And I look at my life and I get convicted. I go, ah. God, I don't know if I can talk about this because I've, I've failed a lot in this area. Uh, and then God, who is so gracious, um, drops a little blessing on me this morning. I wake up and, you know, like every one of us, um, well, if you woke up, tried to wake up at six o'clock or whatever, you go, it's cold, I'm tired, I just lost an hour, I did not want to get out of bed. And I pick up my phone and I got probably the coolest text I've ever gotten in my life. It was from my oldest son. And I'm blaming this on daylight savings time because I get emotional when I'm tired. <laughs> he sent me a, a text. It was like 3.30 in the morning, which he's an hour behind us and time changed. I don't That could have been 4.30 or two, I don't know what time it was. I wake up to this message. It says, hey, Dad. And he goes through, you know, um, thank you for how you raised me. And uh, I'm like, wow, God is good. God is gracious because I've blown it. A lot. Um, so thank you, Lord. Thank you, Isaiah. Um, here's the deal. We're to be diligent and just living out the life of Jesus in front of our kids and in our homes. And we're to do our best 
knowing that God is going to be gracious, as he always is, that he's going to use our good behavior and our good responses. He's going to use our bad. He's going to use our failures. He's going to use our mess-ups. God will use it if we're seeking to honor him and we're seeking to disciple our kids. If we're seeking to raise them up to follow the Lord and follow him, follow him with their whole hearts. Not this half-hearted junk, but with all of their hearts. God's people are disciple makers. And this is the key to all of it, y'all, is his word, his word on our hearts, his word lived out in our lives, his word out to others. I want to read this quote from Tim Mackey of the Bible Project. He said this, the Israelites have been steeped in polytheistic cultures, many gods, for generations, from their roots in Canaan to the long years in Egypt to their traveling through Canaanite territory in the wilderness. They have been surrounded by people worshiping many different gods. Is it any different in 2022? This is the time in which we live. Moses clearly believes that loyalty, obedience, and love to their one true God is the only way to life. One of the greatest threats to Israel's future was dividing their allegiance between many gods. And so the Shema is a daily reminder that, quote, the Lord our God alone is our God. The prayer goes on from here to show the value of passing this conviction on to later generations, to spare them the tragic results of idolatry to other gods. And so with our kids, we're to talk about the word, we're to repeat it, discuss it, model it, invest it into their lives. And not just with our kids, but others. We're to talk about the word and point them to Jesus and we're to discuss it and invest our lives in them so that they will come to faith in Christ, so that they will grow in their faith in Christ. And this is why it's so important that we're in community with others, that we can build each other up. So plug to community groups. And if you're interested in getting plugged in, we've got info at our next steps area. But his word out to others where we invest in other people. And we don't just live for our own little kingdom. Little kingdom, little impact, little legacy. And so just to kind of wrap up here, how do we live in light of this truth? What do we do with what we've seen here? Just kind of reiterating what we've already seen so far. First thing, just be different because of the difference that Jesus is making in your life. You can be different because of your like preferences, how you dress, how you look, the kind of music you like, whatever. Those are all fine and good, but make the most distinctive mark about you. What makes you different, the difference that Jesus is making in your life right now. Uh, and, I, and I remember old prayer meetings, if y'all have been a part of those, I remember it was like, or a testimony time, I was like, let's praise the Lord, what can you, let, let's give testimony, and people would always, you know, point to their salvation, praise the Lord that he's rescued me from my sin, we should always praise the Lord for that, but I was always waiting for folks to talk about, okay, what is God doing in your life right now, like, did he just save you, and then just kind of went away, and let you just go on, or is God changing you right now, is he working in your life right now? Is he doing a work in you? Be different because of the difference that Jesus is making in your life. 
And so let me ask you, are you distinct because of your love for God? Is that the thing that makes you different from all the other people that you work with, that you go to school with, that you encounter? Be different because of the difference Jesus is making in your life. And one other thing, be a disciple who makes disciples. The way that you and I are going to leave a legacy is we're going to be not just a disciple, someone who's growing in our faith. Hopefully we will stretch ourselves and step out of our comfort zone to grow. Hopefully this year is pushing you to do that. And if it's not, I'm going to challenge you to step out further because you're never going to change if you're not challenged. And, and so, man, if you're not reading the Bible, reading, I'm going to encourage you to do that with us. I'm not trying to guilt you into that. But if you want to grow, be a disciple who is growing. And and be a disciple who makes disciples. Stretch yourself. Let God do a work in you and then invest in somebody else. Invest in someone else. You know, a few years ago, um, we're coming up on three years since we've been here. Uh, I remember before we moved here, one of my big goals, one of my life goals was uh, I wanted to lead a church. I felt like God was calling me to that. And so that was a desire of my heart. I would say a big desire of my heart, a life goal, was that I would be able to lead a successful ministry. Now, what successful means is different to different people. Um, for some, it would be a large church or a mega church, and that didn't entice me as much, but I wanted to be successful. I wanted to do, I wanted to do well and lead a church that was successful. And I remember in the space when you know, God was calling us here and uh, before we got here, I remember just contemplating that life goal. And I remember being confronted with the Lord saying, you know, okay, what if, what if this church, um, you know, what if all your dreams don't come true? Or what if, you know, th things go differently than you planned and you don't succeed? Like, then what? what? What is your life all about? And I remember um, being confronted with that. Coming here knowing, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. This may be an incredible thing. God may use it in a big way. And and I don't know, maybe God is going to use this to teach me some things. Um, but I remember changing and, and kind of shifting and going, okay, what is, what is my life about? Is it just about being a successful leader? And, and here's what I came to, and I'm not saying you have to come to this, but there was a shift for me where I said, okay, it doesn't matter how big or successful our church or my ministry gets. Here's how I would like to end my life knowing that I have made a life-changing impact in the life of five men. Five men. If I could come to the end of my life and know that there's five men that would say, the way he lived, the way he invested in me, changed me forever. I would go, Lord, thank you. I've lived a full life. I've made disciples. I've been faithful to what you've called me to do. I don't, listen, I don't, I don't think the number, I think that's, the number doesn't matter. I think the heart of it is that God has called us to make disciples. God has called us to invest in others. If three of those five could be my three boys, I would be excited about that. But you know, I want to come to my, the end of my life, and if nothing else, I've impacted five lives because I've, I've stepped out of my comfort zone. I've fought against being just an introvert who doesn't want to you know, be around people or whatever. I've, I've, I've stepped out. I've seen God be faithful. I've seen God use me to help others, whether that's one or two or 200. God, I want to be faithful in this because this is what you have called me to do. 
And not just me as a pastor, this is what God has called every single one of us to do. God's people are to be distinctive because of their God and because of their love for God. And God's people are to be disciple makers who invest their lives in others. And y'all, if we do these two things, if we will be different, if we will be distinct because of our God and our love for God, and if we will allow him to use our lives to disciple, to invest, to pour out our lives into others, to not just live for our own comfort and our own kingdom, we will leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our days on this planet, that will last far beyond our funeral, that will stretch out into eternity. And so what I want to do this morning is, is I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. I want to end with kind of a commissioning. There are times in the life of our church where we commission uh, deacons, for example, to, to serve, to do the work of ministry. We commission pastors or elders to do the work of ministry. And I think it's important that we realize that we're all commissioned. And so I want to ask you all to stand with me. And I'm going to pray a prayer of commissioning over you as you seek to lead your home, as you seek to invest in your kids, as you seek to pour out your life into others, that you would, that you would have the power of God upon your life, that you have the blessing of God upon your life, and that you would go as you have been sent. And so, Father, this morning, I just want to say thank you for who you are, that you are the Lord our God. You are one. You are the only true God. And we worship you this morning. Lord, you have called us to yourself and that in itself is what makes us distinct. You, that we belong to you. And Lord, may our love for you set us apart. Lord, may we be the disciple makers that you have called us to be. Lord, I pray for every person here this morning. God, I commission them as you have commissioned all of us to be a people, a family of disciple makers who don't just live for ourselves, who don't just live for our comfort and our pleasure and our success. Lord, we live to invest our lives in the lives of others so that many would come to faith in Christ, so that many would grow in their faith so that they could invest in others and on and on it goes. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, those who are mothers and fathers, Lord, I pray that you would send them out into that mission field to lead and to love their kids, their family. Lord, I pray that you would empower them, that you would give them the wisdom and the grace to do that, knowing that you're going you're gonna to step in and you're going to intervene and you're going to take our failures and, and you're going to use it for good. And so I pray over parents and children and families and homes. Lord, I pray for all of us as we go into our world and places that we work and, and our neighborhoods. And Lord, every place that we go when we when we sit, when we walk in the way, when we lie down, when we rise up. Lord, may we teach your word. May we point to Jesus diligently and 
all that we say and all that we do, may your word be the guiding motivation for our vision and for our actions and everything that we do. Lord, I pray for every person in here. Help us to be the distinct disciple-making people that you have called us to be. Lord, we submit ourselves to you today and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray.